I'm a mess. And it seems like just when I get my stuff together, I mess it up all over again. But hey, I'm not alone. I mean, I know a lot of your stories, and we're in this mess together. It's our common bond, right? Some of us, we're years out from where our lives unraveled, but we're still dealing with the consequences. And some of us, oh boy, some of us are deep in the middle of it right now, buried in shame and guilt and regret. The truth is, life is messy. The world is messy, and we are messy. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear some really messy stories. We're going to talk to some folks and hear the pain and the heartbreak of what life looked like and looks like when the wheels come off. But we're also going to hear about the hope and the grace offered and found in the thick of that mess. We're wading up to our necks in the mess. Today and tomorrow, we'll hear a powerful story, a story that, as a father, is every dad's worst nightmare. But it's a story of how Jesus shines his light into the darkest parts of our mess and the redemption that he brings when we have nowhere else to turn. Today, I sit down with Alyssa Dudley to talk about the mess she's walked through and finding God in the middle of it all. We are messy. The Connor and Alyssa Dudley story. This is Dan Foote, campus pastor at Flatirons Lawn, and this is The Long Haul, Life, Faith, and the Road Ahead. So, Alyssa, you, you came and you spoke to Connect Women's. Uh, our our women's ministry and shared your story and you can reshare kind of what you shared but also let's just have a conversation about your life because it is a story of God's goodness Mm -hmm. when things don't look good I I heard this line years ago it's from Larry Crabb and I'm going to paraphrase it if we equate God's goodness to the good things in our life at some point in life we're going to go God's not good because things are not good Mm. right now but God is good despite our circumstances, yeah. and God's always at work in the midst of that, right? And that's yeah. that's part of your story. So uh, let's just start with you're from Colorado. You grew up here. You were born here. Yeah, I was born in Colorado Springs, and we lived there until I was in elementary school, and then we moved down to, like, the Boulder area. So I've yeah, been and, here my whole life. And you didn't live like a lot of kids. Share, share what that home life looked like. Yeah. Yeah. My family, um, my mom and my dad both um, just struggled to make money, essentially. And so we really lived below the poverty line growing up. We lived in motels and mm. we stayed with friends sometimes. And I mean, I was definitely old enough to know that it wasn't normal. I'd see my friends' houses or go to birthday parties and be like, oh, we don't live like everybody else. And how many kids? How many brothers, sisters? Yeah, so I am one of four. So two older than me and then one younger. Okay. Tell me, what what did your dad do? My dad um, is like a tech guy. So he would he would just get like kind of odd jobs here and there. 
Hmm. And then my mom always worked in, you know, bars and restaurants, waitress, bartending. Gotcha. And then as far as faith goes at this point? Yeah. Um, My family, my grandmother on my mom's side was always the person that I heard about Jesus from. Um, But my parents themselves, the home that I lived in, we did not really attend church regularly. Mostly just Christmas and Easter kind of thing. Yeah. And what do we call those? (laughs) Christers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We were those. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, but that's a lot of people's stories, right? Yeah. And... It's amazing what God does on Christmas and Easter in a lot of people's lives, right? (laughs) Yes. You're living, you're saying, multiple hotels Mm -hmm. and and all of that, so there's not a lot of stability there. No, not at all. And then share what happened, the big kind of crisis that your family walked through. So my mom ended up getting a great job. We got got better, um, got a house, all of that good stuff, and it kind of feels like once we were coming out of that hardship, the poverty um, in our childhood, my older brother, Nathan, he passed away in a car accident when I was in middle school. Wow. Um, You were how old then? I was 12. And how old was Nate when that happened? He was 21. 21. Mm -hmm. And you said he was, what was he doing at that time? Yeah, he was in, um, he had just gotten back from training to be in the National Guard. So he was, um, he was back home. He had just gotten like a normal job and he was just driving to work and he, um, he got in a car accident and died on mm. his way to work. Tell me about the impact that that had on you guys as a family. Um, the impact was was huge. You know, being a mom myself, I can't imagine losing a child. But um, as a child myself, I watched my parents walk through that, and they were just, I mean, devastated. Yeah. My mom, I can just remember. I don't like I can't remember a day that she didn't cry in the days and years following that. And my dad, he you know, maybe wasn't as, you know, he didn't cry as much or anything, but he was, he was the one trying to hold my mom up. And so my parents were just very emotionally unavailable to my sister and I, who were still living at home. Your older sister has moved out at this point. Yep. Yep. She's engaged, about to get married. So me and my younger sister, Natalie, we, we were living on our own. It felt like my parents were just very sad. They were dealing with heavy, heavy, heavy grief, but not in ways that was healing them and so we were we were on our own fed ourselves we got ourselves to school how did that fall on you and then how did that fall on natalie yeah my sister we always kind of joke that natalie is way more resilient than i am i'm just very emotional and i just take things really hard sometimes and so that it really played out when this happened with my brother um natalie she just kind of soldiered up i think and was Mm -hmm. like well this is just what it is. We got to figure it out. I'm going to get myself to school. I'm going to find a way to make money even. I'm going to just, I'm just going to do it. And she did. And she still is like that to this day. She's just very, very driven and independent. And I, I mean, I just had this heaviness on me. And I, I think that I was really sad about losing my brother. We were very close, but also I think I was taking on a lot of that heaviness from my mom and my dad Mm. and watching that play out in my family my brother was just this significant male role model in my life. And I just... Because Nate was, what, nine years older than yeah, you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he he was just such a great person. He really, like, would always remind us of, like, never settle for less than what you deserve. And, like, you're amazing and you're beautiful. And he was just that brother. He was not the brother who, like, picked on us or right. anything. He was just, like, kind and encouraging and 
just great. And so when he died, there was a huge void for me. Because what I'm hearing is that not only did you have this source of encouragement mm-hmm. and all of that 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 young girls need, yeah. mm-hmm. you also lost that because your dad and your mom were grieving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they were emotionally absent. Yeah. And now you don't have Nate. And how did that play out? Yeah. And so because I just had this void, I think that I resorted to being boy crazy essentially as like a young teenage girl and I just started dating and not great people and just making really poor decisions with men in my life at a really young age. Yeah. So you started dating, you're what, 14, 15 Mm -hmm. years old. Yeah. And as you said, making bad decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that kind of comes to a head. Yeah. Yeah. When I was um, 16, so it had been four or five years since Nate passed. So, yeah, four years. And um, so I was 16. It had been four years since he died. And I found out I was pregnant when I was 16. I was a junior in high school. A junior in high school and you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happened? Yeah, I um, I didn't tell anyone for a long time. I, I was scared. I was super I was just super freaked out I didn't take Mm. a pregnancy test or go to the doctor to confirm it or anything I just knew knew. yeah I just knew based on I mean the choices I was making and you know I just knew and so I didn't tell anyone for months and months I was scared but also the people who I would have normally relied on again were just like dealing with their own grief right I got pregnant in August and my parents didn't find out. Nobody found out until March. And so by that time, I was, I think I was 29 weeks pregnant. So how did it come out? How did, you know, what happened that you finally shared this? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm getting, did you, did you have like a, a belly? And yeah, it's so funny because I was, I was so young. I think that I was, since I was like mentally repressing it, I think my body was too. And so I really didn't look pregnant, honestly. Mm. And I was definitely wearing like clothes to hide it and all of that. But um, my mom did kind of become suspicious. And when she asked me, I was like, no, what are you talking about? You know, just got very defensive. I think, you know, mother's intuition. She's she just had a feeling. And so um, she just she just kind of knew. How did they handle it when they found out you were pregnant at 16? Yeah, it was. It was just following all of this other grief that my family had. This was like a huge thing too. And so it just, I think it just felt like a huge blow again to my right. family. Like, So this was something else that they're now going to grieve over. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, oh my gosh, our daughter who is like a baby, 16 is so young, is having a baby. Like we're going to like basically losing her childhood. They just thought my, my future was going to look so different from what they'd ever dreamed it would look like. And so it was more grief. Right. And um, how were you processing it? Yeah. I mean, how would, what were you dealing with at 16 years old? And I'm going to be a mom. Yeah. I truly did not grasp the heavy, like the weight of my situation until my baby was born. Honestly, I was, but I was really ashamed, really ashamed. Mm. Just remember laying in my bed all the time, crying and not sure what to do. And part of this story is that I was really battling with, do I place my baby for adoption or do I parent my baby? Um, Because my family did come around and, you know, we're very supportive of no matter what I wanted to do. But 
I was trying to decide, like, should I really be a mom at 16? And when you're 16, that's a really heavy decision to make yeah. for a child, you let, know? Let me ask you, how were your friends, what was your friend's response once you finally told them about your pregnancy? Yeah, I had one best friend who stuck around and is still around. Um, but truly, it's like what you hear in movies or whatever. I lost a lot of friendships. Yeah. Some due to judgment and gossip and, you know, just assumptions, but also some due to, I don't want to be associated with someone like that. My mom won't let me be friends with someone like that. So truly, I ha- I kept one friend out yeah. of the many that I had in high school. It was, it was really lonely. Did abortion ever cross your mind and, and all that? Or did somebody ever offer that as a, as a solution? Yeah, when my pregnancy came to light, when everyone finally knew, no one knew how far along I was. Even me, since I never took a pregnancy test or anything, I didn't know how far along I was. Right. And so... And you're denying it. You're like, you're, oh, not, yeah. you're not counting the weeks. Not so. at all. Yeah. yeah. And so no one knew just how f- close I was to having this baby. It was something that was offered or suggested by almost every person in my life. I mean, parents and friends and siblings and teachers and mentors, everyone was like, here's the solution, like on a silver platter, this can fix all of the problems that we're going to experience. It's right here. But how did 16-year-old Alyssa process, how did you process that supposed solution? Yeah, I was, um, I was so broken at this point in my life, after losing my brother, finding out I was pregnant, feeling all this shame and guilt and I'm not good enough, I I think I would have done anything that people in my life told me to do because I was so just naive and young and I lacked confidence and I had no faith at all at this point in my life. And I was, I think I would have done almost anything that people told me to do, Mm. honestly. But by the time everything comes to light you were beyond any legal way of doing that Mm -hmm. yes for sure and I think back and um you know we go to that first doctor's appointment me and my mom and we're both just sobbing before we even found out how far along I was because we were just scared yeah and they do an ultrasound and the doctor I guess I can remember it so clearly she's like you're measuring about 28 and a half weeks and it's a girl. And I was like, oh my gosh, the only thing in my brain was I'm so far along that they could tell me I was having a girl at my very first doctor appointment. Right. And I wouldn't even look at the screen. I mean, it was this huge screen with my baby on it and I didn't look at it you once. You couldn't look at it. Mm-mm, I didn't look once. Wow. And when, when she said you're 28 and a half weeks, I just saw my mom's face like, oh my gosh, like this baby's coming no matter what because right. we knew like that's not an option anymore abortion is off the table at how far along i am it took me a long time to realize this but when i think back i know that god was protecting my daughter mm-hmm. by even though my denial and the way i put things off was hurtful for my family it protected her yeah and i think god maybe just didn't give me the bravery in the timing that that I maybe would have wanted or my mom would have wanted to tell them but I don't know that my my daughter would be here if 
yeah. if I had told them sooner. So I'm I'm grateful for that. And then she's born. And what's her name? Her name is Evelyn. Evelyn what? Evelyn Hope. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about the names. Yeah. I, I feel like all little girls are like this, or at least most of us, when I was like in middle school. And you're like, I want to have all these kids. And you have a list of names that you love. Evelyn was always on that list for me. Okay. And I still loved it by the time she was born. So Evelyn, I always knew that was going to be her name. And then my mom... I was like, how about Marie? Because that's my mom's middle name. And my mom was like, no, her middle name is going to be Hope. Because we all need some hope right now. Mm. And that's just going to be her name. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Like It was kind of like this, gosh, mom. Why do you got to be, <laughs> be be like that? You yeah. know, That's um, a lot of responsibility, yes. right? You know? Yes, totally. Evelyn is going to be the hope of the family yes. and all the struggles. And, yeah. yeah. And her name became Evelyn Hope. I was like, really close to my due date and me and my mom went to church together and they had someone um speaking from like a crisis pregnancy center Mm. local to us and this woman was basically just sharing her testimony about how she got pregnant when she was 14 and named her baby evelyn hope and i was like that is so weird you know at 16 i wasn't like oh my gosh god is speaking to me through this woman i was like that's such a weird coincidence And then she goes on to explain that Evelyn means life and then hope. And so I took that and I remembered it. It didn't have like a huge impact on me then. But when Evelyn was born and to this day, eight and a half years later, she lives up to it. I mean, she she was born and I looked at her and immediately I was like her life. Evelyn means life. Her life did give me the hope that I desperately needed Mm. at that point in my life. And she still does. I mean, she has really, really lived up to her name. She's joyful and she's funny and um, she's kind and she's giving and she is hope like incarnate. That was the first time in my life when my baby was born that God told me, I love you, even though you made these choices, even though you made some wrong steps you went down the wrong path. I'm going to give you a gift instead of punish you. And that was my daughter. And I, there's no greater love, right? Right. Than you making horrible choices, hurting people that you love and other people in my life. And God was like, here you go. I'm going to give you this most precious, beautiful gift right. instead of telling you that you're unworthy, you're unclean, you're not good enough, you should feel shame, you should feel guilt. He did the opposite. He redeems everything, right? Everything. That's that's what God's job yeah. is. Yeah, his role in, in our lives is to continually offer salvation and redeem yeah. the mistakes that we make. Yeah, I think of like my favorite song. It says, you return all that's stolen from your children. That's what you do. And gosh, I really think that when my brother died, hope was stolen from me. Right. And joy was stolen from me. And God said, I'm going to give it back to you. And this is how, through this little person. And I'm just, gosh, every time I look at her, I could cry because I'm like, you really did restore that for me through her. So tell me about, you're 16, 17 years old, you're a mom, single mom, Mm -hmm. and then, then what were some of your next steps? Yeah. That, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's all talk until the baby's born. Right. Evelyn was born. She was like miracle, perfectly healthy, even though I got no prenatal care. Right. So that was 
amazing. Gosh, we grew up together. I was a baby and I had this baby. (laughs) And so I had to learn how to, you know, not be so selfish. And, you know, I couldn't do what I wanted with my friends anymore. And my parents were so great because they were so gracious and so kind while also teaching me like, this is your baby. It's not our baby. We're grandparents. Yes. And so they were so, I'm so grateful. I was mad back then. And now I'm so grateful that they didn't just watch her whenever I wanted or whatever. And so, gosh, I grew up quick, but we grew up together. And yeah, she, when she was three, I met my husband, Connor. So we started dating and we got married when, when she was four. How did you and Connor meet? Yeah, so I was going to a church at the time and got a little bit hurt by this church, Um, so decided to just, you know, try a different church out. So I left that church, went to this other one close by. I, it's always scary walking into a church as a single mom, especially mm. a really young single mom, and I was like, right. are they going to accept us? What are they going to think when they see me walk in with her? All that guilt and shame that God it, dealt with, you're still... It comes back. Right. Yep. Yep. And again, God showed me grace and he, he just, I felt very calm walking into that church that day. And I met a friend um, named Karis and she and I just became really close. She was on the worship team there and she noticed me and noticed that I was new, which is Mm. like, you know, something to look up to when you're in ministry. Um, She noticed that I was new and she introduced herself to me and Loved Evelyn right away, and we became really good friends. And she told me, she was like, I want you to meet my family. I met her mom, and her mom was like, you have to meet my son. <laughs> and I was like, That's such a this mom is thing. weird. <laughs> yes. I was like, this is so weird. I don't know why she's like pushing it so hard. And You've she got was, to meet my son. Yeah, she was, I know. And I was, I don't know why I didn't put it together, but I was like, okay. So they invited me over to their house for dinner on Halloween that year. Okay. And I met Connor and she just, she knew. She was like, you're going to marry him. I was like, okay. And we did. We got married a year later. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what is Connor's relationship like with Evelyn? So Evelyn's biological dad never stuck around. And so pretty instantly he became dad to Evelyn and it was a lot for Connor I mean I was his first girlfriend mind you and so not only was I his first girlfriend his first kiss his first relationship also I have this baby right that if you want to stay with me you're a dad we're a package deal right yep and he just was not scared of it at all Mm. he was not he was just not scared of us at all and I was like I tested him. I was like, are you sure? Look at this tantrum or diaper. You know, I was like, are you sure? And gosh, he just, he proved it. He, he earned my trust and he, he proposed to me five months in as like a, Hey, I'm serious. I love you guys. And so we got engaged five months after we started dating, had our wedding eight months later. And Evelyn on her own on her own kind of like put the pieces together and was like hey you're my dad and so she's Mm. called him dad ever since she was probably four four or five that's great yeah so you and Connor Evelyn little family and then you want to have more kids Mm mm-hmm yeah and tell us about that yeah so we got married in February and on our honeymoon we were like 
we should, why are like, why would we wait to have more kids? We already have one and we want Evelyn to have a sibling like reasonably close in age so that they can be buds. So let's, let's just start a family quickly. We were totally on the same page. We were super excited. And you know, when you decide you're going to have a baby, it's like, it's so exciting. You start dreaming and planning and we were like, oh my gosh, next year at Christmas, mm. we're going to have two kids. That's so exciting. And, you know, a year goes by and we were like, it's so weird. Like that nothing happened this year and another year goes by and we were like, something has to be wrong. Yeah. How did I get pregnant on accident as right. a teenager? Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like intentionally trying to have a baby and I can't have a baby. And so... You know, we went to the doctor, we asked people's opinions, and we kind of and eventually landed up in a fertility clinic. And we spent months, probably two or three months, just getting tests done, like blood draws, doctor's appointments, ultrasounds, phone calls, like so many questions about our life, genetic testing, mm. family history, so many things. And for so long, everything came back normal. Mm. And so I was like, it's totally fine. God put this desire in our heart to have a baby for a reason. There's no way we're not going to have a baby. And we got a phone call one day from our fertility clinic. Nothing new. They called us all the time with test results. And our doctor, who I just adore, he'd become like our best friend at this point. We were there so much. Um, He was like, why don't you guys come in tomorrow so we can just talk? And I was like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Not normal. Was that a red flag for you? Yeah. I, th- I thought so, but I truly even then was like, we're going to go in and they're going to say like, we've exhausted every test and we can't find anything wrong. Um, but Connor and I, you know, we went in that day, we rearranged work schedules and found childcare for Evelyn. And we went in that day and with tears in his eyes, he said, um, you know, this is really hard for me because you guys are the youngest couple that I've ever had to tell this to. And I just, my stomach dropped. I was like, oh, this isn't good. Yeah, we've got us a cliffhanger. Sorry. Well, actually, I'm not sorry. It'll give us some time to sit and think about Alyssa and Connor's story. Let me ask you this. Where do you relate to Alyssa's journey? I know you can. I mean, even as a man. I mean, there are points of deep connection for all of us in this young woman's story. Maybe you have a similar story. And maybe you're still dealing with the consequences. I hope you come back tomorrow for the conclusion because we've just heard the front end of the Dudry struggles. There's still more. More amazing outcomes. More miraculous moments. And more hope. The hope that Jesus offers the hopeless. Join us back here tomorrow for the conclusion of We Are Messy, the Alyssa and Connor Dudry story. And we'll wrap things up tomorrow by talking with Caleb and Matt and hear their perspectives and maybe hear a little bit about their messes. Where are you on this journey of life and faith? Wherever you're at, let's travel it together. See you at our next stop. This is Dan Foote and you've been listening to The Long Haul. Life, faith, and the road ahead.